Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. We are extra excited today because we're counting them down. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, we're counting down our favorite TV shows of the year. And coming in at number 10 for me from the History Channel, Vikings. It is time to elect a king who will defend us. A king for all Norway. And what better man than you, your hindsight? I hope that things will proceed smoothly. Do you know any reason why it should not? For six seasons, the Vikings have been raiding and fighting and pillaging and killing. It is a soapy, bloody, violent show with incredible battle scenes and incredible family drama. The Canadian co-production, our bosses, Chorus, they're involved, is also one of the most gorgeous shows on TV. In spite of how dirty they get sometimes when they're down in the mud killing each other, the second half of the sixth and final season debuts on New Year's Day on History. One of the things we've learned is great about Netflix and other streaming services is the sudden access to shows from around the world. One such show debuted this year and really grabbed me, kicking off my list at number 10 from Norway, it's Ragnarok. It's in Norwegian, of course. I watch everything with subtitles now anyway, so that didn't phase me in the slightest. Ragnarok's a teen drama, except the main teen discovers that he is the reincarnated Thor. Yes, that Thor, the god of thunder. Young Magna moves back to the town he was born in with his mom and brother, a brother who's mischievous like Loki, by the way. And there's something about that place that brings out the Thor in him. He discovers his powers and also discovers there may be some supervillains nearby. While it goes to places you do expect it to, the show also swerves a couple of times, including the death of a main character early on that really threw me. Also, now that I'm in my mid-40s, there were some instances with the teens where I couldn't quite figure out if I was just an old man who didn't understand the teens of today, or if maybe it was a cultural difference between Norway and Canada, or if it was something specific to the show. So it's got teen drama, it's got small town drama and superhero stuff, a very cool idea, well executed, Ragnarok, one of the great surprises of 2020. At number nine, 20, for me, 2020 saw the 15th and final season come to an end for Supernatural. I control space and time. They think they can kill me. My entire life. It's you and me. Our last chance, our one shot. You're shouldering a great burden. We don't have a choice. The whole mission is saving the world. This is where it ends. Saving people, hunting things, the family business. Sam and Dean Winchester have been hunting monsters and saving the world on the CW for 15 glorious seasons. Look, I know it's not the best show on TV, but it was always my go-to. So I'm sad to see it go. But it was, I admit it was time to end this show. So I'm glad they managed to go out on a high note. Now I guess I'll just have to rewatch the entire series on Prime. It's only 320 episodes. No problem. (laughs) Next on my list, not a happy show, but it was incredibly well done. It was the four-part Netflix documentary series, Challenger, The Final Flight, coming in at my number nine. We're on the cutting edge of technology and discovery. This coming January, a space shuttle will be launched carrying one of America's teachers. The shuttle flies like a commercial aircraft. 
Challenger, you are free to take off now. The voice came on the loudspeaker and said the vehicle has exploded. The Space Shuttle Challenger exploded 73 seconds after takeoff, January 28, 1986. Among the dead was the first quote-unquote regular person to travel to space in school teacher Krista McAuliffe. The series covers the gamut from the inception of the shuttle program to the aftermath of the disaster and everything in between. A lot of it is infuriating. It was an avoidable disaster, and frankly, we hold NASA to a higher standard because they're capable of so many amazing things. So to blow it like this because of communication errors and stubbornness was astonishing. The series also has a lot of archival footage of the training and prep for the launch. Really great footage that has not widely been seen before. A captivating, tragic story. A lot of things will make you angry, but there's also a lot of heroism and hope. It's all pretty phenomenal. Number eight for me, The Crown. All I want is to be loved. It's all any of us want from you. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family? In time, she will give up her fight and bend, as they all do. And if she doesn't bend, what then? She will break. Season four of The Crown debuted in November and featured Princess Diana, so I thought... I should finally watch this show. So I plowed through all four seasons on Netflix over a couple of weeks. The first two seasons focus on a young Queen Elizabeth as she first takes the throne. Then in season three, they flip the cast to reflect how they're aging. And they're going to flip the cast again for seasons five and six. Tremendous show. Beautiful camera work, lavish sets and costumes, amazing acting, wonderful dialogue. This is a solid drama about a really dysfunctional family and makes you feel for the royals, but also hate them. It's very complex, and it shows how being a royal can be luxurious, but also impossibly lonely. My number eight is Brett's number one, so we'll hold off on that until the end. On to my number seven show, Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm return for a 10th season in 2020. Flowers, balloons, Larry David, what could be better? Can I give you a little tip? If you're going to confront somebody, it's better to do it with pants on. It's hard to take a person seriously wearing shorts. Hey, yeah. I need you to do me a favor. I can't do it. No, no, you got to do it. I already got my sweats on. What is it, a mutable law of physics? Once you're in sweats, you can't get out? Newton's law of sweats? It's always among the funniest shows whenever Larry feels like doing a season of Curb. This one coming just over two years since season nine, which followed a six-year hiatus. The big arc in season 10 was Larry's Spite Store. He started his own coffee shop just to try to ruin the business of poor Mocha Joe's because Joe's coffee wasn't hot enough and the tables were wobbly. And just like the old Seinfeld days of double dipping and yada yada-ing, Spite Store entered the lexicon, although there aren't a whole lot of real-world applications I can't imagine. Curb is always a world I love revisiting. Hope he comes back for more. I can imagine he must have a ton of ideas from everything that's happened this past year. At number seven for me, Ozark. You have done nothing but fight me on this. I was trying to protect our family. That is such a tired, tired excuse. Let's pause there. A marriage is only as good as its trust. 
The Netflix show debuted in 2017, starring Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Bateman plays a financial manager in Chicago who launders money for a drug cartel. Things go poorly, so he moves his family to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, where he launders even more money for the Mexican cartel. And then that's where things get really hairy, as they get mixed up with a family of low-life criminals, and then another family that just happens to run the local drug scene. So they're a pretty big deal around those parts. Season 1 was good. Season 2 in 2018 was good. Season 3, which debuted in March 2020, was excellent. There is a sense of near constant dread in Ozark. The acting is impeccable. Uh, Just amazing stuff. There will be a fourth and final season split into two parts. No word yet, though, on when we might see it. The Last Dance was one of the highlights of the year for both of us, a 10-part documentary series on Netflix about NBA superstar Michael Jordan, and it's my number six. Michael Jordan and the Bulls changed the culture. Dennis gave us that edge on the front line. We were winning. Congratulations. Congratulations. Kiss the trophy. Jerry Crown said, we're dismantling the scene. I never saw it ending like that. I let my anger motivate the players. What's up? We look for number six. They all understood who I was. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. The Last Dance followed Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls through their 1997-98 season on their quest for a sixth NBA title and also flashback to the beginning of Jordan's career with the two timelines eventually merging. It was a nice trip down memory lane. I recall being very interested in that final series when it happened between the Bulls and the Utah Jazz. It started just a few weeks after the Seinfeld finale and I was in desperate need of a distraction from my pain. But even if you don't follow basketball closely, if you were alive in the 90s, it was a fun look back. One episode episode, for example, spends a lot of time focusing on the Air Jordan runners from Nike. That was a cultural phenomenon that continues to this day. Lots of behind-the-scenes footage offering a rare glimpse into the daily life of an NBA team and modern-day interviews looking back where Jordan still seems to hold a couple of grudges. Overall, a really nice piece of nostalgia coming at a time when people were looking for something to smile about. Yeah, if uh, I loved this, I would race home every Monday when they, because I did, the Netflix would put it up early on Monday, so we would go to work, and then I'd run home and watch the latest episode of The Last Dance. I was a huge basketball lunatic in the 90s, and it was because of Michael Jordan, in fact, that I stopped paying attention to pro sports, pretty much, period, because I always cheered against him. I respected him, but I was never a fan of the Chicago Bulls, so I always cheered against him, and of course, he won every time six titles, and that's when I finally said, when they beat the Jazz in that particular series, I said, that's it, I'm done. I just, you talk about watching the basketball as a distraction from your pain, Michael Jordan is the source of my pain as it pertains to sports. So thanks, Michael Jordan. But yeah, great, great series. If you like sports, if you like the 90s, you got to watch The Last Dance. In a moment, we are moving from the hardwood to the chessboard. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We are counting down our favorite shows of 2020. We recently went through the best of the rest, the stuff that didn't quite make our top 10s. Still good shows, just not our favorites. And this week we're doing our favorites. And at number six for me, a British comedy from Netflix, Sex Education. 
I really like Ola. She really likes me. We are going to have sex. Can you calm down? Sex Education is about an awkward kid named Otis, whose mom is a sex therapist. The mom is played by Gillian Anderson, and Otis takes what he's learned over the years from his mom and starts doing sex therapy at school on the side. Season 1 debuted in January 2019, season 2 in January 2020. I adore this show. It's got a beautiful setting. Like, Otis and his mom live in this gorgeous house on a hillside surrounded by trees. It's like the the real-life equivalent of the Shire. Uh, But don't let the peaceful, serene setting fool you because life is a mess for all of these kids because high school is messy. I think this is one of the best high school shows I've ever seen. The awkwardness of sex and relationships and friendships. The way that friendships are portrayed is so honest and genuine. The entire cast is just splendid in the acting department. It's just a great show. Season 3 will debut sometime in 2021. The Queen's Gambit was one of the most talked about shows this year, and both of us loved it. I put it at number five on my list. It's a miniseries starring Anya Taylor-Joy as a young woman in the 60s who becomes a chess phenom. There's no player in the world as gifted as you are. There is one player that scares me. Who? The Russian. Don't make me over. He is a world champion. supposed to go to Russia, but what I want is a drink. I don't even know if I'm good enough. You're the best there is. Anya Taylor-Joy is kind of amazing in this. I don't think I've seen her in anything before, but her name keeps popping up. She's been tapped to play young Furiosa in the Mad Max Fury Road prequel movie in the works. She was also in that X-Men movie that came out this year that no one saw. In The Queen's Gambit, she's a chess prodigy, and the series follows her from a little girl first learning about the game to taking on the best players in the world. It also looks at her personal life, from her orphan beginnings to life with her adoptive parents to her grown-up solo life and her many challenges with drugs and alcohol along the way. A gripping portrayal shot beautifully in some truly astounding set design and costume work and responsible for a lot of chess sets under the tree this Christmas, I'm sure. It's also probably at this point the favorite for winning all the miniseries Emmys next year. At number five from HBO, Succession. We're coming up to the finishing line. Cut the horse. Know your role. And remember, money wins. Season 1 debuted in June 2018, Season 2 August 2019, so it's not even a show from the year 2020, but hey, I watched it in 2020 on Crave, so I'm counting it. It's about a mega-rich family and their family business, media conglomerate, one of the biggest in the world. Brian Cox is the dad, and he's the boss. He was set to step aside and let his son take over, but he balked. And all hell broke loose from there as the family tore each other apart. This show is excellent. It has the awards pedigree to back it. Seven wins at the 2020 Emmys, including Best Drama, another 11 nominations. Season 3 will likely arrive late spring, early summer 2021. At number 4 on my list, one of the great surprises for me this year was a show called What We Do in the Shadows. It was in its second season over on FX. It's a mockumentary comedy about some modern-day vampires living in New York and their dumb 
like hilariously dumb. The show is created by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement based on their movie of the same name from 2014. The best episode of season two saw one of the vampires, Laszlo, played by the hilarious Matt Berry, flee the city because another vampire was after him. After all that nonsense on Staten Island, I cut loose to Pennsylvania because it sounded like Transylvania. We all know that sounds cool. I infiltrated the township posing as your average American Yankee Doodle Dandy. And I took over Lucky Brew's Bar and Grill. The previous owner, he mysteriously disappeared because I killed him. Drinks on the house! And I've not looked back since. I now go by the name of Detona. Jackie Detona. There's really some inspired stuff in this series. Aside from the three main vampires, there's also an energy vampire, Colin, who just bores people to death. He sucks in their energy until they die by telling mundane stories. And there's poor put upon Guillermo. He's sort of their servant and dreams of one day becoming a vampire himself. A hilarious show. Look for it on FX. I caught a marathon. I'm sure they'll do that again, or you can find it on the FX app. What We Do in the Shadows, my new favorite comedy. Up next, we're going to talk karate. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, counting down our favorite TV shows of 2020 at number four on my list. This one was originally a YouTube series before Netflix scored the rights. Cobra Kai. I heard you beat up a bunch of teenagers. I didn't beat up any teenagers. I kicked the crap out of a bunch of assholes who deserved it. Thinks he could bring Cobra Kai back to the valley? Not on my watch. You want those kids at school to keep dumping things on your head? You want all the girls to think you're a wackless dork? You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. When I first heard they were doing a Karate Kid show with Daniel and Johnny as grown-ups, I thought, wow, how, how desperate are these guys for work? That show is gonna suck. I mean, I loved the Karate Kid when I was a kid. I watched it probably a hundred times, but... I had no desire to go back to that world. So then when it debuted in 2018, the critics raved about it. I also, I mean, I always meant to check it out, but I just never got around to it. Thankfully, in August 2020, Netflix picked up the show and debuted the first two seasons, and it is indeed amazing. The movie was about Daniel, but the show is more about Johnny. He's a deadbeat. His life went nowhere. But something happens that prompts him to reopen the Cobra Kai Karate Dojo and the rivalry with Daniel is renewed once more. Because as you recall in the movie in high school they faced off against each other in that big karate tournament at the end and Daniel won. And since then Johnny's life has sucked. It's a surprisingly funny show and is super well written. The way they tie everything together in season one is just brilliant. It also has some of the most relatable High school stuff I think I've ever seen in a show, and uh, William Zabka is just uh, tremendous, says Johnny. He was the villain of my childhood, Johnny Lawrence. I hated him, hated him, and now I like him. Season 3 debuts on January 8th, and I'll have a review for you on January 7th. I felt the same about William Zagka growing up. I hated him as well, along with uh, Tom Wilson, who played Biff in the Back to the Future movies. And I think that those guys, their careers were hampered a little bit by being 
as villainous as they were to people our age. So every time I see any one of those guys doing something else now, I'm, I feel just glad that they can still find acting work because they were typecast hard as bad guys in the 80s. My number three, every now and then, the right show comes along at the right time. And boy, isn't that the truth about Netflix's Tiger King, the most deranged documentary series you'll ever see. It's not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. Tiger King came out right when the pandemic was swinging into full gear in the spring. In normal times, normal TV mostly provides entertainment in the form of a heightened reality. The worlds of the shows are recognizable as our world, but the stories are hopefully a little more exciting than our daily lives, but still recognizable as taking place in a world we know and understand. Then the pandemic hit and our world shifted in almost every conceivable way and became much more interesting than regular TV. Enter Tiger King. It's like TV on crack. Most sitcoms have one wacky character. Tiger King is only wacky characters, each one crazier than the last. There's no normal person for the audience to latch onto as a surrogate to help make sense of this world, except maybe that kid who was an accountant, but he was chewed up and spit out of that world himself pretty quickly. Only one person dies in the course of the show, but there could have been several, either by cold-blooded murder or an animal attack. As it was, a lot of limbs were lost and even more teeth. It was a show so crazy that after you watched it and settled back into our new reality, it maybe seemed like real life was a little less crazy, at least compared to the Tiger King. Maybe it was a little more comforting just knowing you didn't have to deal with Joe or Carol or the guy with the harem or any of the other lunatics on the show. When the world got crazy, Tiger King got crazier, Brett, and thank God it did. Yeah, and that was one of the most watched shows uh, for Netflix. One of the most watched shows anywhere. It had 64 million viewers in the month of April alone. So that uh, Tiger King just did huge numbers for Netflix, and deservedly so. I mean, it was a crazy documentary. When you first told me about it, I thought... I don't know. That sounds a little weird, but you know, you pro- provoked me and prompted me to to really give it a shot. I did, and I'm glad I did because you're right. It's just a, you, when you told me about how insane it was, I thought, come on, it it can't be that. Nope, it's <laughs> it's it is that crazy. Um, and he, what a strange. He's an interesting guy. He's a weird and clearly dangerous guy. But wow. Uh, it's hard to believe that there are people like that out there who exist. Like you couldn't write that. You couldn't. No. You couldn't put a bucket of drugs uh, on the table and consume them all and write that. This is nuts. No. And if you did, you'd be laughed out of you know every studio on the planet. They was like, well, that's clearly not a real show. No one behaves like that. And then boom, it's all true. It's so insane. Who's they're doing a Tiger King movie, aren't they? Uh, yeah, there was talk of that and casting of that. I can't remember what I, I already forgot. It wasn't Nick Cage supposed to be oh, in it. Oh yeah. Nick. Sorry. It's not a movie. They're going to do a scripted series, which is, uh, it's what's the point. It's already a series and it's, you won't top it. So that's a bad idea. I doubt that they'll ever get around to actually doing it. Yeah. It does seem kind of weird to me. Like why, why, why try to surpass what we already saw in that documentary. Coming in at number three for me from Amazon Prime Video, the superhero show that's not a superhero show, The Boys. Oi, what's Sporty Spice up to? Who? Sporty f***ing Spice, what's she up to? 
I don't know. And baby, not even page six of the Daily Mail. You see, when they're apart, they're absolute rubbish. But you put them together, they're like as far as girls. The point is, we need each other. We're in the woman. Jeez, he gives the worst pep talks. He really, really does. <laughs> Carl Urban leads a band of misfits in this show that is about superheroes, but not in the way that we're used to. In this world, superheroes put on a friendly face for the public and their photo ops, but they're actually all corporate jerks, and many of them are outright psychopaths, including Homelander, who is the most powerful of them all. He's basically Superman. He is played wonderfully by Anthony Starr, who was in another show I liked a few years back called Banshee, and he like completely different character. You would, when I first saw him, it didn't I didn't make the connection because he looks different. His demeanor is so different, but he's an intense actor. Urban and the Boys are a small group of guys who know the superheroes are for the most part bad people, and they get away with murder. So they're trying to expose the truth. Season one debuted July 2019. I didn't watch it then, but I caught up on it this year when season two debuted in September. And I love this show. It is so addictive. It has tremendous visuals. And it's kind of neat to see superheroes doing things they're not supposed to and abuse their power. It's a pretty scary thought. Imagine the good guys were really, really bad. We both love Survivor, and I got it at number two, but it's rarely as great as it was this past year. Next time on Survivor. Big move. It's time to target the big dogs in this game. But when you fight like an animal... Tyson singled out Sandra. If you come after me, I better not find out about it. There will always be a bigger fish. Winners at War was the 40th season of the reality show, and like the title says, it pitted 20 previous winners against each other, and it was glorious. The season was filled with big moves, the ouster of Sandra being my favorite, and reunited us with players we've known and loved and hated over the years. Boston Rob was in full control of the game until suddenly he wasn't, and it became very apparent in the opening weeks that the old school players were not going to be a match for the new school players, mostly because the new schoolers are much less beholden to any particular alliance they're in and very willing to bounce around on whatever situation gets them through to the very next vote. The final three of Tony, Michelle, and Natalie is probably not one anyone would have guessed at the beginning, but they all earned their way there. For me, the only hiccup was the Redemption Island twist. They can't bring people back that late in the game, I don't think. Cut it off at the merge, please. However, the continuation of Redemption Island through the whole season did give us some wonderful moments with the old schoolers, so television-wise, it was great. Gameplay-wise, it could be improved. Survivor even stronger at 40 than we could have possibly imagined. Yeah, Survivor, uh, Winners at War. Like I never go back and re-watch Survivor, but this is a season that I think I would probably go back and re-watch. And now that I think of it, I'd like to re-watch season 20, the Heroes versus Villains. And right. uh, actually, I've never seen, I still haven't seen the first three seasons of Survivor, so I should probably do that. But uh, yeah, that, that was such a good season of Survivor. And uh, it kind of makes me almost like want to just walk away from it because it can't get, how do you get better than that? I don't know that it does. That's a good point. That's a good point. I wonder. Well, yeah, but at least now there will be enough time in between that 40 won't be as fresh in their heads as uh, it would have been had the schedule gone, you know, as it normally would. So whenever 41 comes out, uh, there's a bit more distance from the insane high high that was 40. 
We've got three shows left on our favorites of 2020. They're coming at you next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We are counting down our favorite TV shows of 2020. Coming in at number two for me, a show that turned out to be such a pleasant surprise. Coronel, soy Gandía. Jefe de seguridad del Banco de España. He conseguido liberarme. The Spanish global sensation Money Heist. I say this is a pleasant surprise because I had never heard of it. But there it was in April, sitting in the top 10 on Netflix because it had just debuted its fourth season. So I checked it out, learned it was a Spanish show about a group of crooks who hijack the Royal Mint in Madrid so they can print 2.4 billion euros. I fell in love with the show immediately. Interesting thing about the show, too, is that it didn't do all that great in Spain. And once its second season finished airing there, that was it. No plans for more. Then Netflix picked it up, and for whatever reason, people started watching it all around the world. It became an international phenomenon, so they got two more seasons, and a fifth and final season is on the way. Yes, it is in Spanish. Yes, you can change the language to English, but... Watch it in Spanish. This show is as entertaining as anything I've ever watched. I have no problem saying this is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's got everything. Action, drama, romance, incredibly fleshed out characters, all with interesting backgrounds. It is way more emotional than I expected it to be. And as mentioned, a fifth and final season is coming. We likely won't see that until summer of 2021. And now we're on to our two favorite shows. My favorite show of 2020 was also one of Brett's favorites this year. Better Call Saul. So, what happens next? Well? Do you know something you're not telling me? Yeah. Don't think I don't see you, eh? You're asking for information you can't have. You're not gonna do it again. Oh my god. The Breaking Bad prequel series only gets better and better as it goes along, much like its predecessor did. This season, the show really started getting into the Saul of it all as Jimmy started to reinvent himself as the shyster lawyer we laughed at and with in Breaking Bad. He also came across some of his most harrowing interactions yet with the criminals in the Albuquerque drug trade, namely Lalo, who is genuinely terrifying. Luckily for Saul, he's got two things going for him. Other people in the drug trade who'd like to get rid of Lalo in both Gus Fring and Nacho, and it was a great season for Nacho, I thought. But even more importantly, Saul has Kim Wexler with him, at least for now. And after we spent the off-season thinking she was going to balk at Jimmy's new life, she appears to be Breaking Bad worse than he is. Rhea Seahorn gives an amazing performance, and her Emmy snub is one of the worst in the history of those awards. Five seasons down, one to go, and it's going to be a doozy, I'm sure, even though the fact that the show is a prequel series and we do know where to expect Saul, Mike, and Gus to be by the time the timeline reaches Breaking Bad, we don't know what's going to happen to Kim or Nacho or some of the others, and we don't yet know what will happen to future Saul in those black and white scenes that are set after Breaking Bad. All will be revealed in Season 6, which is supposed to air sometime in 2021, but like so many other shows, their schedule was disrupted by the pandemic. And I'm almost loath to declare this as my favorite show of 2020 because I have been bound and determined since the spring to declare Money Heist as my favorite. And up until the last couple of weeks, it was still firmly entrenched at number one, but it has been bumped 
There is another show that went from being really good in its first season to unbelievably amazing in its second season, talking about The Mandalorian. Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. I've said it before, this is a show I did not care about when I first heard about it. When I saw the first images, I thought, oh, big deal, a show about a guy who looks like Boba Fett? This is what everybody's making a big deal about? Like, why do we need this? Turns out, we need this. If you are not familiar with The Mandalorian, it's a Star Wars show set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. We meet this bounty hunter, The Mandalorian, who is tasked with picking up an important package. Turns out that package is a child who is quickly dubbed by the internet as Baby Yoda because he looks like Yoda and he's a baby. The Mandalorian box on his deal, goes on the run with the kid, and gets into all kinds of adventures along the way. I've been quested to bring this one back to its kind. If I can locate other Mandalorians, they can guide me. This is no place for a child. Wherever I go, he goes. Season 1 was great fun and earned a surprise nomination for Best Drama at the Emmys. Season 2 has been excellent, mostly. The second episode was just kind of okay, but all the other episodes have been stupendous, weaving the show into the larger Star Wars universe while still telling a simple and emotional story about a bounty hunter who has become a father to this child. And the season finale, oh my god, what an emotional wallop. So emotional, so exciting, and ultimately so touching. I was bawling, just bawling. Can't wait for season three. They say it will be ready for Christmas 2021. If you like Star Wars but don't have Disney+, Plus, do yourself a favor and check it out because The Mandalorian is stellar. This is the way. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.